Most Holy Father, we are so incredibly thankful for another opportunity to gather here tonight and to open up your word. Father, help us to leave with a better understanding of who we are and who you are, that we might better serve you, that we might better serve others, that we might better bring glory to you, that we might better understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here. I pray your blessings on them. I know there's probably many of our number that are hurting and that couldn't be here that are sick, and we pray that you bless them and watch over them and help them. Help us to be an encouragement to one another today and every day. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's review real quick. Um, number one on your worksheet, a human is what of God? An image or an image bearer, right? An image bearer of God made in the likeness, the image of God or the image, the likeness of God. And as we talked about last week, those two terms are uh, synonymous. They're used interchangeably, being a uh, made in God's likeness. God's image is practically the same thing, meaning what? What, what kind of a title is image bearer? Okay, like an idol, yeah, absolutely. What what human beings were known as image bearers of God or of God's kings. kings, right? So it is a royal title. So human beings are the royal image bearers of the one Jehovah God. How many? What kind of human beings are image bearers of God? That's an interesting question, right? In and of itself, isn't it? What kind of human beings are? It's the trick question, by the way. All, all human beings, right? There aren't kinds of human beings, right? There is one kind of human being. In fact, that's what's interesting about animals is that they reproduce after their own kind, but there is one kind of human being. There is an image bearer of God, period. There is male and there is female and we are human. We are made in the image, the likeness of God. We are image bearers of God. Uh, and the female of the human beings came from the male, right? She wasn't created from the earth like other animals. She was created from the male. We are two sides of the same coin, so to speak. Okay, so number two, as image bearers of God, and remember the primary emphasis, and I'm beginning to think that the primary emphasis of the Hebrew scriptures is on tasks and jobs. What does a thing do? That's the primary question that the, the scriptures seem to be answering, what are you supposed to do? What are you created to do? We tend to ask, what are you made of, right? What are you made of? How, what, what makes you up? What, what are your parts, right? Because we like to not kind of tinker with things and take things apart. We want to know what makes a thing work. But the primary question that scripture is answering is, what, what are you tasked to do? I don't really know what it means that man is made from dust, right? But that's the biblical story, right? That's the biblical picture is that we're made from the dust. Now, I mean, obviously my flesh is flesh and, you know, I mean, it seems different, but we came from the earth. But again, the primary question isn't what are our cells made of or what is an atom or what uh, is a proton or a neutron or electron. I mean, that's not the question that we're addressing. The question that we're addressing is what were things made to do? What were the, the, the things in the sky made to do? What were the animals made to do? What were the plants made to do? What were human beings made to do? Have dominion, Have dominion. right. What's another rule, word for that? 
<laughs> yeah, I almost said it. Yeah, rule. Yeah, uh, what, what, human beings are made to rule. They are made to have dominion over what? The earth, right? The creation. Um, and we talked about how that is like God. Again, we tend to think what things look like or what things are made of. But again, in the creation story, the creation narrative, the, the creation account, uh, the, the emphasis is on what we do. And we're made in the image of God. And God, primarily, he was bringing things into existence, obviously. But more than anything, what was he doing during the days of creation? Okay, he was war- working, he was organizing, right? He was separating this, this, the darkness from the light. He was separating the sky from the sea. He was separating the, the land from the water. So he was organizing and he was assigning, right? Delegating, right? Delegating, telling things what to do. And in a very similar way, human beings were created to do that, right? We were created to bring order to God's creation, right? Uh, we read that there wasn't any plants where man hadn't gone to, to, um, to garden, right, to work. There wasn't a man there to work the field, so the field was kind of chaotic. And so men were supposed to come in and were supposed to be farmers, be gardeners, right, and to bring order and beauty to God's created world, to the garden, and then, assumingly, to expand from there and to continue to bring order uh, to the, the chaotic earth, uh, just, as Jesus, or just as God brought order to the world. Uh, number three, how are all, all humans alike? We all came from whom? Adam. Adam, right? We all came from Adam, who, like the animals, came from the, the ground, the earth, right? So Adam came from the ground. In fact, there's a similarity between his name and the earth. And so Adam came from the earth. And that means that all human beings are what to each other? Related, right? We're all related to each other. We're family, right? In fact, Paul will say the same thing in Acts 17, right? When he's in Athens, he says that we all came from one man, right? We have one God and we came from one man. We're all related, right? You might look a little bit differently than I do and we've spread out. We've gone to different nations and we speak different languages and the Tower of Babel is in there to kind of explain some of that. But, but even though we're, we're different clans and different families, all of our families are related, right? We're all related through Adam. We're all uh, part of the same family. Um, and, and the fact that we came from the earth and the animals came from the earth shows that we're, we're similar to them in some ways, right? We're, we're all earthly creatures, but we're, we're different and we're not related to the animals. We didn't come from the animals. We came from the earth. Uh, the animals came from the earth. They, we came from God. We're related to each other. We're not related to the animals. Okay, that's the biblical account. Uh, second bullet point there. We were all created with the same purpose, right? Again, the emphasis is on purpose. We were all created to be kings and queens, right? Rulers, to have dominion, to, to be uh, who we were called to be. We have all, like our earthly father Adam, we have all what? sinned. We've all sinned. We've all tried to take what didn't belong to us, which was the knowledge of good and evil, right? And we, we've brought shame and reproach upon ourselves. We've brought uh, enmity between ourselves and God. We've become God's enemies because we have rebelled. We've chosen to side with his enemy rather than, cho- rather than choosing to be loyal, faithful to him. Um, and, and one of the consequences of that sin 
is that what has happened between us? Enmity, Enmity right? Animosity, mm-hmm. violence, conflict between us, even between husband and wife at times, right? We talked about last week that the, the wife's desire is against her husband or for her husband, and he is going to rule over her. And so there's a conflict and animosity there. There's a conflict and animosity between the beasts and between people. Even the ground itself is going to be thorny and hard to deal with, and it's going to be hard for man to exercise his dominion and his rule over the created earth because of his rebellion. Because of his rebellion, he's brought this conflict and animosity into the world, and pretty soon we see that violence is the result, right? Uh, Not only do we have uh, kind of right there in the beginning, uh, the first conversation with God, Adam throws his wife under the bus, right, and says, well, it's really her fault. If you want to get right down to it, it's your fault. And, and, And then the very next story is what? Cain and Abel. You've got two brothers killing each other, right? And then right after that, You've got the flood story, and that builds up to violence, right? It, a lot of what God has to say about the wickedness and sinfulness of human beings is our violence, our hurting each other, right? Now, is it because human beings, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this again, but is it because we are just dead set on doing what's wrong? Do most people just, just decide, I'm going to do what's wrong? I want to do what I want to do, right? I want to do it my way, right? And it's right for me, right? It's good for me. I'm going to choose my path and do things my way. I'm going to do what's right in my eyes. Do we see that in our culture even? I mean, isn't that interesting that that our, our culture thinks they've kind of come up with something new? You do what's right for you. I'll do what's right for me. Well, that's what people have always done. And that's exactly why we hurt each other. There can only be peace and harmony and unity and love when we bring ourselves under the submission of God, when we bring ourselves under God's rule and reign. And isn't that, going back to our series about the the kingdom of God, the, the parables that Jesus introduced, that's what he's talking about, isn't it? When he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the rule and the reign of heaven. He's talking about the rule and the reign of heaven's king and saying, this is the way to bring peace and harmony is to subject yourself to heaven's king. Now, we don't tend to think that way, right? We tend to think that my best life is through not submission to some king, but rebellion, right? If I can just be free and I don't have to listen to anybody, I can kind of pave my own path, right? Well, that, that, that works okay until it intersects with somebody else's path, right? And then there's all kinds of bumper cars, right? Everybody's trying to take their own path, and then there's all kinds of conflict. But then when we allow somebody to direct our path and to say, you drive this way at this speed, and, and then everything kind of flows together, right? When everybody does what's right, what someone in authority says is right, uh, what God says is right. Now, kind of the, the micro version of that is a kingdom, right? I mean, as a, as a community, we have people that set rules and laws and say, okay, you're going to drive this speed limit and you're going to drive in this lane. And so long as everybody kind of does that, it works out pretty well. But what happens when one community or country or kingdom comes into contradiction with another kingdom or country? Conflict. Conflict wars, right? And so it really only, the only way to have the garden, the only way to have peace is for everyone to come under God's rule and reign, right? Um, but, of course, that 
isn't happening, right? We, but that's our job is to preach that good news, to preach that gospel, to say Jesus really is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And the more that we ourselves start to live that out, where we really bring ourselves under God's rule and reign, well, then there, there is peace and love between us, right, in the kingdom. And, and the more that we can show others that way, the better life will be here and obviously the life to come. Okay, so now I struggle with this, okay? Now we're going to talk about this Hebrew word nefesh um, and look at a few verses. So basically we're going to do a word study and look at uh, different ways that this Hebrew word is used. Uh, the definition of a word has to come from its usage, okay? It can't just come from a concordance or a dictionary. We have to say, how was this word used? Okay, so we're going to look at nefesh and see how it's used. Um, but be okay, let me just warn you, be okay without a conclusion tonight, okay? Because we're going a whole quarter, okay? So we're just going to kind of look at it, and then we're going to walk away and say, okay, that's interesting, okay? That's kind of interesting. I, I don't know what the conclusion tonight's going to be, um, because I don't want to get to the conclusion too early. I want to, you know, I want to look at everything because we're going to look at words like soul and spirit and body. And we've got to look at both the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament. Okay. And kind of compare the two. Um, but let's work with what we've got. Genesis 1, 21 through 21 and 24. We'll just read those two verses. <laughs> Somebody want to read for us Genesis 1, 21. Okay, so the word nefesh there is creature, okay? Uh, my translation has it twice. I'm not sure if Larry's did too. Um, it has the English word creature twice. Only one of those is nefesh. So the sea creatures is a different word for creatures, um, but every living creature, that living creature, um, creature there is nefesh. Any other translation say anything different besides creature? Thing, okay, that's a good word, thing, I like that, living thing, okay, so thing or creature in verse 21. Uh, verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. So again, creatures is how the ESV reads. Anybody says thing, I guess, probably still the same. Creatures, that's interesting. See, that's, that's what really is an interesting thing, to kind of go through and to see how the translators, and these people are brilliant, and I'm not necessarily second-guessing what, what the words that they've chosen, because I'm sure they have had a reason to choose those words, but it's interesting to see how two different Hebrew words in verse 21 are translated with the same English word, creature, Bird. even though they're two different words. Uh, what's that? Birds of things. Birds of things, yeah, and they, and they are things, right? Um, so, so... Creature or thing. Uh, Genesis 9 and verse 10. Somebody got that? Genesis 9, 10. And with every living creature that is with you, of the file, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out <coughs> Okay, so again, creature, right? Is that how yours said it, Freddie? Creature, living creature. 
Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So living creature, uh, verse 12, same thing. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Again, thing is a great word there. Um, if your translation says thing, that's a great word. Uh, creature's interesting, and we'll talk about why it's interesting in just a second. Okay, look at Leviticus. So skip over a couple books. And we'll really, I mean, this word is used hundreds and hundreds of times. We don't have time to go through every single uh, occurrence of it, but just to give you a good taste of it. Leviticus 11 and verse 10, But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and the, of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. Um, same chapter, chapter 11 and verse 46 this is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground. Uh, chapter 24, 24 and verse 18. Now here's an interesting one, okay? Leviticus 24 and verse 18. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good life for life. Okay? Um, anybody say anything different than that? Okay, beasts, okay, so whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he's done, shall be, did somebody say human? That's, is that verse 17? Or verse, okay, yeah, verse 17 says whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. And verse 18 says whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. Now, there, nefesh is three times life Make it good, life for life. Okay, so here it's translated as life. And the other words that we've had is creature and thing. Yeah, thank you. Thing. No, beast is a different word. Beast is a different word. Or some say animal. So um, that's a different, different word altogether. Okay, so now if <laughs> you obviously know we're talking about being human, right? And so you, you're thinking, well, nefesh has something to do with being human. So far, does it look like this word has anything inherently to do with being human? So far, no, right? So far, the, the, the occurrences that we've talked about are specific to animals. In fact, look again at Leviticus 24, 18. It says, whoever takes an animal's what? Life. life. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good. Life for life. Okay, someone's animal. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and that would be that would probably be fine. I'm sure someone's animal because that's what the context is talking about. Is saying if if somebody takes somebody else's animal's life, then it needs to be replaced. It needs to be taken care of. Um, okay, Genesis chapter two and verse seven. Okay, so we're going back to the creation account that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Now, have we already seen the word nefesh in the first two chapters of Genesis? Yes. And how was it translated there? Creature, right? Now, somebody read Genesis 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became living being. Being. Oh, good word. Good word. Okay, so being, and the way Larry emphasized that proves that he, he knew that that was the word nefesh. Um, so here, 
His translation says being. What else does people's translation say? Soul. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Soul. Mine says creature as well. Creature. At least that's consistent, right? Because we've been saying creature up here, and so at least they've been consistent in some translations to say it's the same, same word, okay? Um, so creature, so we've been reading along, and, and the Bible says that these animals are living creatures, living nefesh, right? So they're living things or living creatures. Um, when we skipped over to Leviticus, we said that they had, lefe, they had nefesh in them. They had life in them. Um, again, I like, I like this translation, being. Who said that? Whose translation said that? Larry. Larry what, what is that? <laughs> NIV? I like that. New King James. Oh, New King James, okay. Um, now, this is interesting, though, isn't it? Soul. Now, that's interesting. Now, when you think of a soul, what do you have a tendency to think of? What's that? Humans. So if I asked you, do, do animals have souls? What would most of us say? No. Well, most of us would say no, right? Now, but that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Now, now, again, English is funny, and translation is funny, isn't it? Because we're going from one, one, trans, one language to a different language. The word here isn't soul, and it's not any of these English words. These are our English words that we're trying to comprehend what is the Hebrew idea of nefesh, right? But if I say to you the word soul, you get an interesting idea, don't you? You start to think about a ghost, right? You start to think about the part of us that, that in fact, that's an interesting phrase right there, the part of us, right? And, and you start to think about, about the, the part of us that lives on, and you start to think about the, you know, the immaterial part of us, um, the, the part of us that makes us a human as opposed to an animal. But that's not fair, is it? I mean, if we're just reading the Genesis account, because the Genesis writer Moses says that these animals are living nefesh, right? They're living nefesh. And then he says that God forms man out of the dust, breathes into him the breath of life. We'll talk about that in a week or two. And then he becomes a living nefesh, right? And so if you're just reading this, with this word and not any of these other English words that carry all kinds of connotations in your mind, then you're saying in many ways, this living nefesh is like the other living nefeshes, right? I'm sure that's not plural, but living <laughs> nefesh, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Um, that this, this, this living being is similar to these other living beings. They're all living beings, right? Um, now, what is different in the account in Genesis 1 and 2, what's different about human beings? And I'll warn you, we've already talked about it, okay? We, what, what have we already said is unique about the human nefesh? Made in the image of God. That's what's unique about this living being, is this living being is an image bearer of God, right? So it's already said this, this being is unique. And so I like so far, anyway, right, I like this. Creature, to me, kind of, you know, I mean, I don't really want to be called a creature. I don't know about you. But, you know, I like being, though that's a good word, isn't it? But soul, I mean, that's, that's interesting, right? I, I, we, we, would, we would feel really funny if it said that these animals were created as living souls, right? But it's the same, same word. So 
I think for the sake of our conversation right now, we need to think about a, a being, right? It's a being. And so um, if we're talking about in Leviticus, that if your animal's being was taken, then it's life for life, right? It's nefesh for nefesh. It is life, existence, being, right? Okay, let's keep reading, see if we can come up with some more evidence, more thoughts. Genesis 9, 15, and 16. I will remember my covenant, God says, that is between me and you and every living nefesh, creature, being of all flesh and the waters shall never again, never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the, when the bow, the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every, every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So again, God is saying all living, again, if you want to use the word soul, you could, right? All living souls of all flesh, right? Of all kinds. That would be what? man and animals, right? Um, they're all, if you, again, if you want to use the word soul, you can, I guess, but they're all living nefesh. They're all, they're all living beings. They're all living creatures, right? Um, they're similar. They, they all came from the earth. They're living creatures. They're living beings. Um, where do we leave off? Look at Leviticus 17. Um, yes, sir. Yes. 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 That's a, that, that great. Great. Yes. That is a great observation. That most of the time, the word "living" comes before it. It's a different Hebrew word saying this is a living creature. Now, hold on to that thought. We'll, we'll kind of touch on that maybe here in just a minute. But but just kind of hold on to that for a second. Look at Leviticus 17:11, and then we'll read verse 14. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now, it's interesting, right? Now, where do you think the word nefesh falls in this verse? Life and soul. In my translation, it says, for the nefesh of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your nefesh. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life, by the nefesh, right? So, yeah, the two words there are life and soul. But, again, did anybody else say anything different? That it makes atonement for your, for yourselves. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? For yourselves, for your being, right? For your life, right? Now, again, when we start inserting the word soul in there, we have an entirely different picture in our head, don't we? In fact, if you're just reading this in English and you say the life of the flesh is in the blood, right? So when I sacrifice this animal, its life is in the blood and its life is a substitute for my life, right? I don't die because this animal is being sacrificed in my place. 
and it's making atonement for my soul. Now, I would think if I was reading that in English, that those are two different words, right? Soul and life. But they're not. They're the same word, right? In fact, to me, it brings even more clarity to say this is why. It's that animal's self. I know that's not the word self. Their life, their being for your being. Their life for your life. It's not necessarily talking about anything ghostly, right, or spiritual. It's simply talking about, it's simply talking about making atonement for, and that's why, is that NIV that says selves? That, that's interesting. Now, again, just a little side note on translation philosophy. Some translations will try to give you word for word, New American Standard, American Standard, New King James, um, English Standard, are trying to give you a word for word equivalent and other translations are trying to give you the idea, right? Which is why the NIV said, well, we'll make atonement for yourselves, right? Um, to try to help you to understand that we're talking about your, your being, right? Um, yourself. Okay, look at verse 14. For the life, nefesh, um, of, the, of every creature, making sure I'm, that's a different word, see? Uh, for, for the life of every creature is in its blood, its blood is its... Nefesh, right? Okay, so creature is a different word, but life there is life. Again, that seems to be one of the big words that we keep coming back to, right, is life. That this is a life. It is a life, maybe. It's the living life. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? The living life of an animal. Maybe it's the living life of a human being, um, but it's a living life, okay? Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now we'll see it almost entirely different way of using the word. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, but almost always translated the same way. Again, I just hope that it just brings some clarity to how this word soul is, um, is used by the Hebrew writers, okay, by the, by the Bible. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, we call this the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Where is the word nefesh there? Soul, right? Soul. Um, now again, now again, when, when we think of soul, we think of one thing, but just kind of following the line of reasoning through here, does it make sense to say love the Lord your God with all of your being? Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, love the Lord your God with all of your life, with all of your um, creatureness, <laughs> all of your, uh, all of what makes you you, right? All of you, yourself. all yourself, exactly, yeah, yourself, <laughs> your individuality. In fact, here's an interesting way of thinking about it. We, we've almost entirely gotten away from this English way of using the word soul. To us, it's almost always ghostly or something like that. Um, but if if you said that an airplane or a ship crashed and 30 people died, we would say there were 30 souls on board, right? Well, we don't mean that there were 30, you know, ghosts on board. We mean there were 30 individuals on board. There were 30 persons on board. There were 30 living beings, living lives on board, right? Um, we also might say that poor soul, that poor soul never knew it hit him, right? We might say that poor soul, we, we really mean that poor individual, right? That, that, that person that's undergone some bad luck, right? We're really talking about 
them, their life, their individuality, their being. Being is a great word. I love being. I think it's, it's great for this usage. Okay, look at Psalm 35 and verse 9. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. Okay? So, in the first Deuteronomy 6, 5, our soul loves, right? Our soul loves. We love the Lord our God with all of our soul. In this passage, we rejoice in the Lord with our soul, right? Now, again, when we just see the word soul, we tend to think something ghostly, but really, again, my being, right? I rejoice in my being. And if I say that to you, if I, if I say that to my wife, I love you with all of my being, what do I mean? All my soul, yeah? What, what do I mean by that? How would you define that? Every, every part of you, right? See, again, we tend to try to break things down a lot. Don't we? We try to like dissect stuff. I mean, maybe it's the maybe it's because we're you know we know what the human anatomy looks like. I don't know, but we try to break stuff down and like put things into categories and parts. I mean, but when the Bible's talking about the soul, it's not really talking about a part of you. It's talking about you. You are. That's what that's what Genesis two says, right? When God took this dirt and formed it into a human body and breathed into it the breath of life, it became a living soul. It doesn't say God gave it a living soul. God said that it became a living soul. And so when, when I say, I love you with all of my soul, I love you with all of my being, it means I love you from the core of me, right? I, I, I love you with everything that I am, right? That's, that's how God expects us to love him with our core, with ourself, with our whole self. Uh, look at, I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. You can't see. Okay, okay. Well, hold on to that thought. That's an interesting thought, but hold on to it, okay? It, it, if you didn't hear what Freddie said, because I think it brings up an interesting thought that we usually think of when we think of soul. He said, the me that makes me me, you can't see, okay? Which rhymes, and it sounds good, too. Uh, <laughs> but, but hold on to that, and we'll get to that in a second, okay? Look at Proverbs 6 and verse 30. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his... His self, hunger, King James says what? Soul, mine says appetite, somebody else said appetite. Okay, so people don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite, his self, um, his soul when he is hungry. Is that talking about anything spiritual whatsoever? (coughs) Not really, right? It's talking about his appetite, right? In fact, we could write that down. Somebody spell it for me, app, pp. E? Okay, thank you. It doesn't underline it when I do it wrong on the board. Um, okay, and, and it doesn't self-correct either. Um, okay, so appetite. Look at Proverbs 13 and verse 25. Nope. Somebody read that. I, I pushed the wrong button. Okay. Some other translations say appetite, right? Appetite or soul. Again, when we think soul, we think something spiritual, right? Um, but maybe, 
Maybe, right? I mean, maybe it depends on the context, right? The context helps us determine when you say, I love you with all of my soul, God, um, then, I mean, we're talking about something spiritual, but if I say, man, my, my soul hungers for a hamburger right now, um, I mean, then I'm not talking about something spiritual. I'm just talking about, but, but if I, and again, that's confusing, right? If I use the word, the English word soul, that's confusing. If I say my soul hungers for a hamburger, you say, well, that, you, your soul can't hunger for a hamburger. Well, yeah, I can. I mean, my nefesh can. In the Hebrew mind, my soul can ham- hunger for a hamburger. My soul can hunger because my being hungers for it, right? My core hungers for it. I, I, could, I could kill for a hamburger right now. I di- I'm dying for a hamburger. We're expressing the same thought, right? We're saying my being longs for that. And I, when I say my being longs for something, I may be saying my being longs for some spiritual connection. I may be saying my being longs for something physical. It depends on the context, right? But ultimately, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about when the, when the Hebrew Bible talks about soul, because there really isn't, there, there may be one other word used in one other place, but for the most part, there is no other Hebrew word for soul. So when you are reading through the Old Testament and you read the word soul, this is what it is, the nefesh. And the context has to determine whether you're talking about a spiritual longing or a physical longing, whether you're talking about whatever. Freddie? So what would you put one of those words in the idiom, um, the eyes are the windows to the soul? Okay, yeah, and we'll, and we'll, we'll, have, to, we'll have to get to that as we get into, because as we get into, like Jesus saying that, He's speaking Aramaic, and it's translated for us in Greek, and so, and then into English. And so then we'll have to, to look at the New Testament usages of that too. But um, let's look at a couple more that's going to get back to what Freddie said earlier, that if you don't see the me that's really me. Uh, look at Leviticus 21, because this is going to throw us all for a loop, I have a feeling, okay? Leviticus chapter 21 and verse 11. Okay, somebody read Leviticus 21.11 for us. Nor shall he approach any dead person, nor defile himself even for his father or his mother. Okay, what word do you think is nefesh? Himself. Person, right? Person or mind says body, right? A dead body, right? And the same thing in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 13. A dead body, right? Oh, it says corpse? That's interesting, corpse. Um, okay, so now that we're still talking about the same word, right? Now, if we said that is a dead being, a dead creature, that'd be a horrible way to refer to a person, but, um, but that, that's, a, that's a dead, we could almost say a dead life, right? But you would never say that's a dead soul, right? So again, I think we've got to be aware that when we read through the Old Testament and you read the word soul, you've got to recognize that this is the word it's talking about. And this word doesn't really refer to anything otherworldly. It doesn't really refer to any. It definitely doesn't refer to anything otherworldly. Um, it might refer to an inner desire, right? An inner, but, but in that sense, it's just talking about your being. Now, with all that being said, there are a couple... There are a couple verses that if you didn't take all of this into consideration and you just approached it with an English mentality and looked at the word soul, you might think, hmm, does that mean like a ghost or something like that? Look at 1 Kings 17, 21 
And it's really interesting. I, I get frustrated sometimes with translations because both of these verses, in my mind anyway, and I'm you know, obviously not a scholar or a translator, but, but in my mind, these are the, the same sense of the word, but they're translated two different ways. And I really don't understand why these two verses, um, and I know these aren't, aren't your worksheets, but look at 1 Kings 17.21. It says, talking about Elijah, he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's... What? Life, that's what mine says too, life come into him again. Anybody say soul? Soul. Soul. Okay. Let his soul come in. So he's dead, right? And Elijah's stretching himself out. Now, does both make sense? Let his life come back into him. Let his soul come back into him. They both make sense, right? But they both give you an entirely different idea, right? When you say let his soul come back into him, you're thinking let the ghost somewhere out here come back into him, right? And then he's going to live again. But if you say, let his life come back into him, you just mean, let him come back to life, right? Um, two totally different ideas, um, but the same, the same word. So, again, looking at how this word is used throughout the Old Testament, I think that life would be a much better translation there, right? That, that what is being said is, let him come back to life. Let him live again. Let him be a living being again. Let him um, have his life back. Now look at Genesis 35. Again, same type of a situation, 18 and 19. Um, Benjamin, um, verse 19, so Rachel died and she was buried on the way. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Verse 18. And her, as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benjamin. So mine says soul there, which is interesting. What does y'all say? Soul. soul? Isn't, that, isn't that interesting that most of us say soul? Um, same idea though, isn't it? Couldn't we say as her life was departing? That makes sense, right? I mean, in the same sense that the little boy's life was coming back to him, we could say her life was departing. And, and uh and, and I think that's the same sense here, here, that her soul, her life was departing from her. Now, again, we know the end of the story, right? We know that through Jesus, that just because we're dead, just because we are a dead nefesh, just because our life has gone out of us and we're no longer a living creature, a living being, um, that doesn't mean that we cease to exist, right? We know that through Christ that we will be resurrected, right? So we know the end of the story. But just kind of thinking through how this, or how this um, Hebrew word is used, and again, I don't know that we have a whole lot of conclusions to draw tonight, except that, um, except that in the Hebrew writer's mind, when, when it talks about soul, it's talking about our being, our very core, our life. Um, and... And I think we make a mistake when we read that and we try to divide that up into a part of us. You wouldn't say that your life is a part of you, right? You, you, you are alive, you're living, you're a being, you are a being. So is my body a part of my nefesh? Yes, absolutely. That's why you could look at a dead person and you could say that's a dead nefesh, right? That's a dead person. That's a dead body. My, my, this is me. I, I am Wes. This is, my, this is my life in this sense of the word, right? We're not saying that there isn't a 
part of us or whatever, but we're saying in the Hebrew mind, it's more about the unity of the person, the whole of the person, than it is dissecting a person and saying, this is a part of you, and this is a part of you, and this is a part of you. You are a person, right? And when, and when, the, when the Bible writers would say, save my nefesh, save my life, for the most part, we're talking about, we're talking about preserving my life, right? Save me from dying. But even in, in so many of the biblical writers' mind, even in the Old Testament, even before God's plan was fully re- revealed, we see the idea that they knew that God could save the nefesh, the life from death, by bringing a person back to living status, right? I mean, that's what Abraham thought about his son Isaac that even though he was going to die, that he would live again, that God could protect your being, your life, even after death. There's no idea how that happens yet until it's all revealed in Jesus. But, but again, in, in, this, in this part of the Bible especially, we've got to look at the unity of the person rather than the division of the person. So I'm sure you all have a lot of questions, but we're out of time. So you all can go and I'll stay. So.